food, depending how it goes today. The subject is human identity. We've looked at uh, identity and social class. We've looked at identity and fathers, the role that fathers play in identity. These are very cursive and quick. And now we're going to talk about the role of mothers in, or one's mother in shaping and affecting one's human identity. Next week, I will either continue on this theme or I will do the role of profession, your profession, and how that affects your sense of who you are, one way or t'other. Will you join with me in saying the little prayer at the top of the page? Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> now, the, um, the great... Uh, I'll talk for about 25 minutes, and then we'll open it up. The great thing in human affairs <coughs> is to understand, as I continue to say, and this is not a theological eccentricity, but you, you won't often hear it. Oh, here is an Altoid. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, you, uh, uh, you, uh, the, uh, in human affairs, um, there are two great, uh, there are two great forces. There are two great forces in human affairs. And these two forces in historic Christian terms are called something, but in the terms of other aspects of life, they might be called uh, something else. But as far as we're concerned, the two great uh, forces uh, in life, and this applies to all human experience with no exceptions. Now, again, remember I speak, I like to speak in a very either-or, straight-out way so you can disagree. That's part of the idea is to force a person, not force, but to, to encourage you to think, not by overstating, but by stating in an either-or antithetical manner. Um, otherwise, it gets watered down. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I state it strongly, partly as a didactic technique, although I do believe what I'm saying. Um, law is one uh, profound uh, aspect of life, and the other is the gospel. And the law <coughs> is no, is simply no, the no that uh, affects people so dramatically in their experience of life, and the gospel is yes. And because human beings by nature, as St. Paul says in one of the Corinthian letters, eat and drink condemnation, we are very, very um, uh, eager to hear bad news about ourselves. So uh, we can be uh, angry and we can join in the chorus of disapproval. Uh, we are eating and drinking condemnation as persons by nature. We always hear the no louder than it is given, and uh, we seldom hear the yes. This is how this explains why people act the way they do. Obviously, in Freudian terms, the no is what? The superego. 
and the yes is really, the gospel is the, the uh, abreacted and forgiven and reconciled ego from which the voice of the superego has died and the voice of the id has been uh, absolved and uh, uh, cauterized, creating something called the ego. But you don't have to be into Freud at all. He simply instinctively understood what St. Paul said in a far larger and deeper penetrating way 2,000 years before Freud. The law is no and the gospel is yes. And what this means is that people generally um, uh, react in life to no's. And that, that shapes their identity. As I've often said to you, this is my view, but it's the view of the scripture, we bring nothing to the equation. Uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We are like dust that the wind blows away. Candles in the wind. You know, candles in the wind. Uh, and uh, uh, tumbleweeds just floating down. Who are we? I don't know. But we define ourselves in terms of the law. We say to ourselves, either I will show that person that I am not what he has judged me to be, and we uh, act in a very rebellious way, or we um, accept the verdict and we lie down and die. We accept the verdict and lie down and die. They've just discovered, you probably read in the paper yesterday, 2,000 corpses in, uh, uh, in uh, Latvia, which they thought were victims of the Stalinist purge. But they're actually, uh, they were soldiers, it's fascinating article, I'm putting it in the Dean's Bulletin Board. There are 2,000 skeletons completely preserved of uh, French soldiers under Napoleon who died of, uh, of frozen to death in uh, uh, Latvia uh, during the 1812 retreat of Napoleon from Moscow. And they were all thrown into a common pit, but they're almost all in fetal positions. It's a heavy thing. We read the articles. Unbelievable. Uh, they discovered, they've identified these because of uniforms. They're all soldiers of Napoleon, French soldiers, who died of freezing to death uh, if in fetal positions. You, you either in life deal with the, the, the negative by crawling up into a fetal position and basically confirming forming, or you uh, do it in terms of rebellion. That's what a no does, and that's why, generally speaking, one of your children is the rebel, and one of your children is the conformist. Now, that's a very broad thing. Maybe you have all conformists or all rebels, God forbid. <laughs> but hopefully you have two, one conformist, one person is really finding themselves, and one person is a wild child rebel. But uh, however it turns out in your family, this explains all human uh, career paths. Uh, you're, either, you're either reacting against what somebody has told you and you're going to show them or you're, uh, you're conforming and you're lying down and accepting it and that's why the law is so powerful. The other great theme in life which is uh, really uh, profoundly uh, affected and uh, offered by Christianity is the gospel. This is in the very remarkable phrase, woman neither do I condemn thee. And, um, he did, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. Um, and uh, uh, it is, uh, God is more overjoyed about the one lost sheep who is found than the 99 who are not, who are at home. They don't need God, and that's fine for them, but they don't need me. I am involved in the person who's suffering in the fetal position under the no, and that is the gospel. So all human affairs are subsumed under the topic of the difference between the law and the gospel. And uh, it was a very profound thing that Luther said when he said that the theologian, and by the word theologian, he meant 
any, the Christian, he didn't mean the professional theologian, the, a, a Christian who thinks theologically, a theologian is the person who can rightly distinguish between the law and the gospel. So when you're bringing up your children, you know the difference between the no and the yes. In relating to your mother and your dad, you know the difference between how much is the law and, and the gospel affecting you. Where are you with all these things? Now, I'm just popping off for a while, but I wanted to start with those two great themes. Now, that's why social class is so easy to diagnose, because if you don't have it and want it, you'll prove to everybody else that you've got it by getting it. And if you, if you react against your social class and can't stand the fact, you know, the sort of uh, carry me home, wasn't there a book called Carry Me Home, that whole deal, then what you do is you just excoriate it. I can't read that book because to me it's extremely psychological. It has to do enormously with psychology. At the moment I picked up one sentence from it and I said, this book is about, it's about one relationship. So you either, you either, you either put up your dukes and you, and you attack or you fade back. And that is what happens in identity. And that's true of social class. And that's true of jobs. We'll talk about that next week. And it's true of fathers. But today I want to talk for a little bit about mothers. Now, you don't have to accept a thing I say, but uh, the passage that is really quite extraordinary is um, uh, Galatians 4, 21 through 26. Because in the Christian tradition, most of the images for God most of the images about the formative relationship are about what one of the two parents? No, mother or father, which one? Father, father. overwhelmingly. In the, in the Bible tradition, part of that had to do with the patriarchal and Semitic worldview, but overwhelmingly the imagery is of a father. However, the mother breaks through in one passage in scripture and in one part of the tradition, where does the mother side of God in the history of Christianity, and not in the Bible so much, but in the history of Christianity, there's a particular character in the Christian pantheon who becomes almost identified with God, who is a maternal figure. Who is that? Mary, the Virgin Mary. And there is a tradition in Christianity in which the mother of God uh, is actually almost the most important figure because she represents nourishing, maternal care, unconditional love, deep affection, profound pity, the pieta of Michelangelo. Uh, in the um, genie, in uh, Quasimodo, in the uh, Notre Dame de Paris, in the musical, there's a, and it, but it's in Victor Hugo's novel, the gypsy girl Esmeralda who comes out of paganism. She's basically a white witch. Basically, she's a pagan white witch uh, out of her Romany. She comes into Notre Dame Cathedral and she sees the statue of whom? Of Mary with the baby. And she is drawn to the statue. Victor Hugo has a thing about it. And in this particular French musical version, she sings something that they call the Pagan Ave Maria. The Pagan Ave Maria. Because so powerfully touched she is by this image of mercy in a male-dominated world. And you know, remember that song by James Brown? This is a man's world. But it ain't nothing without a woman or a girl. Uh, and, uh, uh, he said two things that are both true. But uh, I mean, you don't have to agree with anything. But in the Christian tradition, this is why the image of God as maternal, uh, God as mother, is so very, very powerful in Christian history. And I don't take a, I don't take a wit away from it. It's not my particular image, but I don't take a whit away from it. And many, many artists have captured this. And the, our Church of the Advent has powerful pictures of the Virgin Mary in the windows. But there's another place where the mother strikingly comes to, uh, fruition, uh, comes to exposure. And it is that mother and the mother who is the mother of the gospel 
and your mother as the gospel uh, and as the law that I want to talk about. Because what I'm really talking about is asking you to think, what relation, how has your mother formed or affected your self-understanding? That's a very big question. How has your mom, for better or for worse, where you sit at this point in your life, whether you're male, female, young or older, wherever you are, how would you say at this point your mother has affected your sense of who you are? Now, the answer obviously is decisively. But the way in which that has happened, we're now going to look at just a little bit. Will you, um, I'm going to read to you, this is, this is uh, like whenever you're dealing with the Bible, you can't just, you have to do a little bit of homework, an eensy weensy bit, so I'm going to do an eensy beensy bit of homework or something like that about mothers in Galatians for you to get the power of this breakthrough that the Apostle Paul had in regard to motherhood. Um, would you read with me? By whole verse, uh, verses 21 through 26 in full. Tell me, you who desire to be under law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Well, it's verse 26 that I want to talk about. And whether you're a feminist, whether you're a misogynist, whether you're every which way between, uh, whether you're a misanthrope, or whether you actively detest men, um, I want you to, uh, to bear uh, with this passage and see why it says something so important about your mother in your life. I'm, this is not about how you mother your children. But what, I, what will you conclude from this will ha has such an effect on how you do mother your children, I can't tell you. That would be the law. I'm talking about you in relationship to your mother. Your mother. Uh, for better or for worse, we all love our mothers. Look at this. What happened was, in the book of Genesis, Abraham got old and he had no children by his wife Sarah. And in that day, it was a common because the birth of male children was so central to their whole culture that you had to have a male heir, especially if you had property. The same thing happens in all Jane Austen novels, but we're talking about the, we're talking about the third century BC. And so she said, having compassion on her husband's need, she was looking out for her husband. She said, go into my maid Hagar because, and let her become your concubine and perhaps she will bear you a son. And this was at the suggestion of his wife, she, he, uh, he uh, went into Hagar, and Hagar conceived a child whose name was Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. And Ishmael and Hagar looked with contempt, that is Hagar, upon Sarah, because she had not born a natural son, and they looked with contempt. And uh, Sarah very quickly understood what had happened and threw her out of the house and threw her into the desert where she was left to die with her son Ishmael. They were ministered to by an angel and they did survive. 
But then later, after all this had played out, remember, never take arms. I mean, in human affairs, in the Bible, every time they take arms against the situation, it goes wrong. It's a passive. Christianity is about passivity. I expect you to disagree with me. But Christianity is fundamentally about passivity. They tried to solve the problem themselves, and they created a huge, terrible problem. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and promised him a son. Abraham believed him in Genesis 15, and it was reckoned to him as identity. And he had a son whose name was Isaac. Thank you very much, Grady. And so now Paul, who is thinking about the gospel and the law and how these two things work in human affairs, fully convinced that the gospel uh, can, only, can be the only real lodestar of a human being, person, realizing as he does that only grace will save a life. Only love will save a life. That law will never save a life. He trawls through the, Galatian, uh, the Genesis, which he memorized. He, he's memorized it. Um, and uh, he trawls through it, and he finds the story. And this is what he says. Aha. Abraham and Hagar represent human attempts to find an answer to a problem. Therefore, that is the law. So he says, um, the son of the slave, verse 23, was born according to the flesh, and she is uh, bearing children for slavery, and she corresponds Mount Sinai. Hagar is connected to the law. Why? Because the law was given on Mount Sinai. So Hagar represents trying to do something by virtue of taking matters into your own hands, which is the law or control. Why I hate air travel so much is I cannot control. I pray every, I've been, on, I've been in Charlotte Airport four different times just this week. Four different times I've been in Charlotte Airport and I freak out. And, I, and when Mary said, uh, we finally got into the airport really late the other night, and she said, we finally got there, got to our car in G29, I mean, 18 trillion, you know that purple part of the airport, we have to park in a different way. We finally got, and she said, do you want to drive? I said, are you kidding me? Do I want to drive? It's the first time I've had any sense of at all, any kind of real oomph in my life for the last 10 days. Are you kidding? And of course, we ran out of gas on 280. But, you know, but now what I, what I want to say is, so Hagar and Ishmael are the law, but the promise is represented by Sarah and Abraham, who had Isaac, when they trusted God and let him handle the situation. So we finally get this breakthrough, and it's verse 25 and 26. Will you read that with me? Forgetting this, let's not read in Arabia. That confuses people. It's Mount Sinai, happens to be in Arabia, but it's the, it's the famous Mount Sinai of Charlton Heston fame. Read 25 and 26 with me. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And then later in verse 31, St. Paul says this, Brethren, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Now, what is important about that? And then I'm done. It says, first, it's a female image. Paul is a man, you know, James Brown time. He, I mean, culturally, he lives in a man's world. He is uh, brought to an illustration which is entirely maternal. Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of Jesus Christ, the city of grace and the gospel is understood to be his mother. And he uh, identifies, he says it twice, we are children of the free woman. He sees that, free, that we, are, we are living in an ether or an atmosphere based upon grace 
and that is the mother of the Christian person. Not the father at this point, but the mother. However, the other mother, the bad mother, the stepmother, Cinderella, Cinderella, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the awful stepmother, the bad mother, or maybe your mother, she corresponds to Mount Sinai, which gave the law, and she is in slavery with her children. Now, just think about the implications of this. Think about the implications of this. First, it is a natural place to look about mothering, and, and, and it is a natural place to think about it. Now, I'm going to say what I have to say about this, and then over to you. If, uh, uh, this is, uh, sometimes I'm accused of sexism, and you can accuse me of sexism. I'm a weak, fallen vessel, and I didn't grow up in the 80s. But, uh, uh, but, 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 but I, 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 this is empirically the fact. Whether it's ideologically the fact, that's another question. But it's empirically the fact that if, 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 if mom, however you want to, the same is true of dad. You know, we've discussed this with dad. We're just shifting the emphasis to mom. If mom is Mount Sinai, you have done one of two things. You have either rebelled and been a prodigal son, daughter, slash, and you have distanced yourself deeply from her, and what sometimes happens is people distance themselves without letting it be known. They distance themselves inside themselves, but not on the surface. So you, you have a mother who you go through the motions with, but inside yourself you are really quite... Uh, alienated and apart from her and she knows it and you know it and it's very very difficult and especially when you have children of your own this becomes very very demanding it taxes your sense of uh, how of your mother being Mount Sinai or uh, the mother uh, Jerusalem our mother and it is the same with moms as it is with dads and it is with brothers and sisters that if your mother is someone who as far as you can see uh, gave you, uh, in, your in her love for you, the gospel, which is commonly called non-judgmental, sacrificial loving that is not uh, uh, laying down a certain approach the way you ought to be, you will have, uh, uh, this is very interesting, isn't it, and Freudian, that I didn't write Jerusalem our mother, I wrote Jerusalem our father. So uh, <laughs> there we are, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not refer to fathers at all here. The mother is the one who has given them freedom. And it is freedom from the law, through the power of the gospel, to relate to God directly and in a relationship of pure and unconstrained and unconditional love, which frees the human being to be who they are. Um, and uh, this is the great distinction between the two mothers. Now, I wanted to just uh, present that uh, to you and ask yourself, uh, as far as your own sense of your mother, where does she fit in <laughs> to this model? Um, it may be that she unreservedly is in the Mount Sinai camp, especially if you happen to be her son. <laughs> or, or, if she's in the Mount Sinai camp, uh, you just got into the fetal position, like those 2,000 French soldiers in 1812. They had no way of defending. They had no clothes. They had no overcoats. They had no heat, they had no houses, they had no food. 
They had no firewood. They had no fires. They had nothing. They were completely naked, literally. So in the face of this, they had no choice but to crawl into the fetal prison and die. And uh, people do that with their mothers, male and female. And they, or uh, there are all sorts of different ways. Or uh, the grace of God, and your mother has been the person who has been truly the liberator of that which is distinctly and un incomparably yours and yours alone. These are the two uh, great uh, issues of motherhood. And if your mother, humanly speaking, and chances are she's neither. <laughs> Because usually when I meet people who've told me for years in my parish, oh, my mother is just a piece of work, and I've, I've moved here to get away from my mother, and oh, my mother. And I, I know men who haven't spoken to the mother for eight years. I'll never forget a tall, beautiful, extremely successful, handsome attorney in New York. And uh, he was very, very, he's dead now, and he was a very a beautiful man, and a very rich man in human terms. And he walked into our church on an Easter Sunday, and he never, never left. Uh, it was a powerful conversion that he had, but he, uh, during a Bible study once, we were talking about our moms, and he said, um, I haven't spoken to my mother for eight years. Now, he was about 42 at the time. Now, that is something. I'd never actually run into it, but there are many people, in actual fact, who, who are quite, not everybody by any means, and not even most, but that was, I'd never come across a relationship of eight years or more of alienation with a human mother. And uh, I, I said, why? And he said, I, I just, I, well, he, he went into the, the Mount Sinai. But then, you know, three years later on Easter Sunday, you meet the person's mother. And they're delightful. <laughs> they're just absolutely delightful. Modest, humble, and so, yes, they might have been a piece of work at some point. But um, a, an awful lot of this is projection, you know? A lot of it's projection. We were speaking in Speculator, New York. Mary, you were right there when it happened. And Bishop Dave Benna, who's the assistant bishop, and this is a very charismatic diocese. They got their hands in the air 24 hours a day, and they go to Mass. It's high church charismatic. It's not like the Diocese of Alabama. Uh, the high church charismatic. And uh, the bishop, Mary said to Bishop Dave, the assistant bishop, uh, David, uh, is Paul like what you thought? Because he's read my stuff over the years. They said, oh, he's much cooler. And he went in the nice way. He does, maybe. Uh, and he's a lot nicer. And then Mary said, why, why do you say that? She said, well, because in his writings, he seems so sharp. <laughs> that, that he said, he seems so sharp in his writings. So he had read some stuff I'd written and had projected on me in sort of the Wicked Witch of the West or something like that. And he said, he's really nicer. So you see how projection goes with your mom and your dad? You're projecting like crazy. But nevertheless, you can put your basic proportions. Is it 50%? Is it 90%? Is it 60%? Think about it. Um, that's all I wanted to say before I wind up. Now, tell me uh, what you'd like to say as you uh, look at your own mother uh, and the role that she has played, for better or for worse. Who wants to comment on this particular, uh, this particular question? Just, just, a, just a second, Lisa. Hold on, let me just see if anybody's back. Well, Lisa, you start then. All right. Um, Make it short. It's very interesting. My sister, who's 18 years older than I am, has a very my mother softens up over the years. And so yes. she's the child of Mount Sinai and I'm the child of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? That's very, you know, you can raise your children at a certain point in your life when you're more of a basket case than you are at another point in your life. <laughs> I, you know, I would, wouldn't you like to raise your children again? Anybody here wanted, maybe you don't. <laughs> but but I, I, can, I can name at least two things. I can name at least two big things that I would have done differently. 
that I wish I could do again. But that's very interesting. Who else? That was a very helpful comment. Who else wants to comment on grace and law in regard to the role that our mothers have? Catherine. Are you dealing with the law or are you dealing with grace? A lot of it's chemistry. A lot of it's chemistry. Oh, boy. Um, Mary, uh, did you want to say something? Then, then I th I'm sure there's someone over here. Yes, that's Miss Roberts. Valerie, hang on just a second. Mary, Mary had her hand up first and then Valerie. You're illuminated by the light, though. I love that. Uh, Mary, stand up. Could you give a couple examples? Uh, <laughs> no, but, no, but seriously, no, so would you just enhance that just a little bit more in practice? How, how did that happen? I mean, how have we seen that? Just a little more in practice. Um, I can't think of an example, but I mean, I'm talking about my family. Really. Yep. But how, what happened in that? What are you saying? I mean, like the dad could come on and play, is that what you're saying? Or well, yeah. the dad is not a so small reason. And only if you know that your parents are totally united um, in, their, in the theory of how they're bringing up the children are you going to not put it on your mother instead of your dad. Wow. Wow. And what oh, you're almost saying, it might be then women would be projected this in a very unfair manner because they were having to do stuff that the father ought to be doing too. Wow. Oh, I'm convicted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Valerie Roberts, stand up and say what you were going to say. Well, I'm not going to say anything about my mother. <laughs> Doesn't one's perception of this story also hinge on a little bit on that, on your judgment, judgment of your mother? Huh. Whether you're judging your mother, you mean? Yeah. Wow. That's very powerful. Thank you. What you're saying, for the record, is it's possible to judge your parents, your mother in this case, for things that in the context of their life made all the sense in the world, but you didn't know it. And, and, that, and, and so you, you saw it not truly as it really was. Who else wants to, to, to comment? That number of, of Walter Little and then Jim Goyer. Walter, stand up. Walter Little, my gosh, hush your mouth. I tell you what, 
the mother, uh, l l l l oh my, that's very powerful. Um, we really must avoid, we must understand that, that, that mothers and fathers are dealing with the same ultimate things and uh, uh, th th that would be a terrible fate for the mother to fall into uh, to, uh, to this and uh, uh, th this would be a very difficult thing to be. But now, uh, Jim Goyer, stand up. For real or perceived wrongdoings. Wow, very, very powerful. Now, is that Don Gordon back there? Hey, Don. I would just What a beautiful thing to say. Wasn't his mother named Nancy Hanks? But isn't it Nancy Hanks he was speaking about? He was speaking about, in fact, his stepmother, if I'm not mistaken. And that's very powerful. You can be a person's mother and not be their, quote, natural mother. Uh, that's a powerful thing to say. First, was there somebody over here first? Um, uh, Tommy Wilson, stand up. combination. Wow. My theology says no, but my experience uh, is taking that in. I, I, the, the very powerful. Uh, yes, Mr. Roberts. And then, there, and then I think, uh, Heather, did you have something? In just a minute. Stand up. Yes. I did contradict myself. <laughs> there, 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 there is a mix. However, in the place of neurosis, if you have a complex about your mother, it's usually one or the other. Unfortunately, uh, very few people feel the mix, even though in all cases it's got to be a mix. That was very powerful. Who else back here? Uh, Anne-Marie. And, uh, and then is that Lynn? Anne-Marie and then Lynn. Stand up, Anne-Marie. Wow. Well, that would be, uh, I, 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 I hope that's not true, but I, I know what you're saying. And certainly we all have hard-nosed fathers and hard... I'm frequently at funerals when uh, children refuse to come. Children refuse to come. It's usually at the, the father that they won't come to. It's the sons. Uh, several times here at the Advent, several times here in the last eight years, I've buried people whose sons refuse to come to the funeral. Now, that's a very, very strong statement. And, uh, and uh, I would sometimes ask the widow or somebody I knew, I said, well, what was, what's going on with that? And she'd say, well, he was just really hard on his son. Um, I would counter that. You'll count it the same with women, but usually it's more with sons who won't come, at least in my experience. Heavy thought. Now, uh, it was Lynn Cassidy. Stand up, Lynn. Oh, that's very powerful. And I, I'm not a psychiatrist, so these are beginning to be the Dr. Joyce Brothers world, or, uh, you know, I'm not quite there. Uh, uh, but um, who's that woman, the therapist on TV and the cable? Laura. What? Laura. Yeah, listen, no, no, not to Laura. No, I don't want to be associated with her. But the, uh, 
Uh, they'll have me for lunch at the next. Sur uh, the uh, the next uh, the, the 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 surrogate mother thing. Uh, you tell me. You tell me. Are there people here who are looking for? I know I look for surrogate fathers, uh, but are there people here who have been on the move uh, for surrogate mothers? On the make for surrogate mothers. Uh, there's a hand. Is that Connie? Kim. Oh, yeah, Kim, yes? Wow. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, the idea of, 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 there's no question that a parent's ability, a parent's uh, forgiveness of a child at a fundamental level is a rare and wonderful thing. Now, uh, Rosemary and then uh, Ronnie and then, and then we're done. Then I want to finish up with a question. Rosemary? I just wanted to say we're all on the lookout for a surrogate mother of Jerusalem. We are all in that need for that authentic, true love. And whenever we're rejected that, you know, we, we seek other people to give us that love, and we have to find it inside. Yes, we have to find it inside. We're looking for it. We seek other people. Powerful words. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Ronnie? Where's Tom Brown? Is he here? <laughs> when, when, where's Tom when we need him? Where are you on staff as a physician? That's right. Ronnie is one of our very great gifts uh, at Children's Hospital. Thank you for that about the cookbook. I'm thoroughly depressed now. One more comment and we're done. David Tanner, who's recovering so beautifully. Uh, David, what's your thought? Stand up, though, and that's, that, then we'll do it. Well, I would get back to the verse where it says, Hagar corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which is the world that we all live in, of the world of flesh and sin and condemnation. But the new Jerusalem is the kingdom of God. Powerful, David. Thank you. I want to finish by saying something. I want to read the verse. I, I didn't have time to think this through enough. I dictated this to Nita over the telephone from somewhere. I think it was the Charlotte Airport. Uh, and uh, so I didn't really put in the final verse that I want to conclude with. I know you all have thoughts about this. I hope, you're, I hope your mind is going over your own experience of, of mother and, uh, and how you have been shaped in all sorts of ways, uh, many ways very, very, very wonderful. And I want to highlight Don Gordon's powerful comment, picking up from what Abra Abraham Lincoln said, although I'm very thrilled and it's very extraordinary that Lincoln's great debt was to his mother, natural mother died very young. And uh, it shows that mothering can transfer uh, from even blood kinship in a powerful and important way. But the conclusion is this, uh, verse 26, will you read this with me? But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And in verse 31, he says, we are children of the free woman. And the final word here, and next week it'll be profession, your profession and your identity. The final word, it sounds like a cliche, but it's a true cliche. The uh, mothering pattern, 
the mothering harbor, the mothering um, safety that is most profound is finally the uh, love that is free. It asks nothing in return and it conveys freedom. And people who are most powerfully um, affected for the good by their moms are people who are able, through the love they've been given, to act from freedom, not out of rebellion, nor out of conformity, but out of freedom. It sounds very 90s, but it's a very true thing. This is where the Christian tradition has had such a great effect on Western parliamentary traditions. This is why we can honestly say that we really are Americans in the positive sense, because all that came out of the idea that true Christianity is about conferring freedom. And uh, everyone here, almost to the extent that your mother uh, was able to give you uh, the freedom to exist as God's child uh, in a New Jerusalem setting, I can almost guarantee you that that has conditioned how free you are now to act and to love and to be uh, hopefully a not wildly neurotic uh, a container of life in this world. Let's say the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Come back next week.